just, I'm sure that that's just a series of unusual coincidences. It couldn't possibly have anything to do with the Orioles' competence. Ultimately, I think this is going to be uh, a good thing for my, for Major Base, but I think even Miley Base, the transition is going to be tough. When you look down the ballot, there he is getting one tenth place vote, Ryan Tapera. <laughs> and welcome to episode number 188 of Artificial Turf Wars. I am your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined by the exceptionally uninfected Joshua Housen. <laughs> I just got a test, so that's confirmed. Exactly. You you had to cross a border, is what you told me, and I thought, wow, I'm I'm not I'm not wishing I was you at the moment. Yes, um, I am currently in the United States. Uh, it's visiting a, a not well family member, but uh, yep, got tested and everything twice just to make sure, and then we're not going anywhere while we're here. <laughs> Because because every state in the union is red on a map of things that you could paint red because it was bad to go outside and hang out with people. Uh, and nevertheless, I'm in Florida man. Oh man, <laughs> it's like, so not worse. so not what you want. But you are you are healthy. You are safe, and the Blue Jays continue to be Blue Jaying. So we shall speak of them. Um, we have uh, Robbie Ray resigned. We have the attempted acquisition of a mystery player which we'll discuss who that might be. Um, and also the Jays positioning uh, for the offseason, as they have said, and then if some other people have said. Uh, we have uh, an interview with uh, Jason Takafman, who is our expert on the minor leagues. Uh, he's going to talk about the big changes that have happened there, as well as the winter meetings that had to go away for the minor league uh, side from the, you know, the in-person, like everybody else's meetings. Uh, we have your questions, naturally. We have a do-over for the MVP voting process. Uh, just funny. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, we'll see about our final thoughts. So, we shall begin, sir. The Blue Jays jumped early. This is earlier than the Kendris Morales signing. This is Robbie Ray. He's coming back. What are the terms? One year, $8 million. That seems like a, hey, there's no bad one-year contracts, is what I'm supposed to say here. Yeah, I guess. I mean, this has potential to be really, really good. I mean, if you were to say going into 2020, what if you were to ask rather what kind of contract Robbie Ray is going to get? He was he's 29. He'll be 29 all year. He was probably looking at four years, 60 million, something like that. I mean, coming off the season he'd had previously where he struck out 235 batters in 174 innings. And he had a terrible 2020, but a lot of people had really weird 2020s. Like, a, like getting Robbie Ray for one year, 8 million is as no risk as it gets. So Robbie Ray also was trying to specifically fix something about himself. Is my understanding is, is he's trying to reduce his walks and he changed his arm slot and delivery somewhat to do that. And it didn't work. Um, no, it was the opposite <laughs> yeah it was an absolute disaster but if, if there was a specific change and um and you're willing to live with 220 strikeout robbie ray who walks a lot of guys he had success at that he was just trying to get you know up to the quote-unquote next level but I, I don't know that number three starter robbie ray who whiffs 
all kinds of people is, I mean, for $8 million to steal. And for him, it's a great opportunity to show, oh, yeah, it really was an aberration that I was, I would, I, you know, I got out of my depth and I tried to change something I shouldn't have changed. Yeah, exactly. And so it's a win-win, really, like for both sides. You know, Ray got maybe even a little bit more than some people thought he might get. Who knows? But yeah, I mean, they they get a guy who, like you said, if he's just what he was, he's a number three starter. But if he's what he was three years ago, he's an ace. I mean, like as long as he's just Robbie Ray, it's a fantastic addition to the back of a rotation. And if for some reason it just he's not what he was, he's a dynamite left-handed reliever because lefties <laughs> just don't touch it. Yeah, yeah. The ultimate fallback plan is we're sorry this isn't a pillow contract the way you thought it was, but we're still going to pay you $8 million. And now you're you're probably an elite reliever if you stay healthy um, and you can, you yeah, know. Yeah, now you, you're Drew Pomerantz. <laughs> it's like you, you can put that on your resume next year. Bucks. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah, all around, um, obviously there's a risk. We're not saying there's no risk. Obviously, there's a risk on every contract, but we the Blue Jays have minimized it in every possible way here by making it one year and not signing it, you know, some crazy amount to that. I mean, it's less than what the QO would be for for lots of uh, lots of players out there who would have qualified for the the um, the free agent qualifying offer. Heck, it's less than they paid Chase Anderson last year. Let's not go there. Um... <laughs> well, I'm going to go back to that in a minute. There's a reason right. for that, but go ahead. So uh, point two is we have heard that this is not the only activity that the Jays have been um, activating. Uh, there was an attempted acquisition of someone else, a a trade. We think it was a trade or do we think it was a free agent signing? So the the wording makes me think, honestly, that it can only be one person. And Shai Davida, Davidi mentioned this one person, Kevin Gaussman, because – no one else has signed or been traded. So why would it be past tense? Like, why would it be you can't do this anymore? Unless it's someone who took the qualifying offer like Kevin Gossman did. <laughs> it, you know, this is actually the real. And so you know, Gossman had a great year, right? I mean, like, he's always had this potential. It's like all these players, like they get away from the Orioles and then they become good pitchers. Jake Arrieta, hmm. <laughs> Dylan Bundy, Kevin Gossman. I'm yeah, just like, I'm sure is... that that's just a series of unusual coincidences. It couldn't possibly have anything to do with the Orioles' competence. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're nothing to do with their player development of pitching. Not at all. No. Um, yeah, but I mean, Gassman struck out 79 batters in 59 innings this year at a 3.62 ERA. I mean, that's a good pitcher. It's not a guy you're going to give a giant contract to, which is probably why they couldn't buy him out of the qualifying offer. But it's a, it's the kind of guy they, that's worth targeting. And the reason I specifically wanted to mention this one, like normally missing out on a move is not worth discussing because it's like, what does that even mean? Absolutely. But the reason I did is because now with Robbie Ray, the quick eight, $9 million strike. So Chase Anderson the year before, and then missing on the qualified free agent, just like they did last year when they were going after, Oh geez, I can't remember the guy's name, the twins pitcher. <laughs> um, uh. Uh, but, Edison uh, Volquez? Was that the one no. I'm thinking? No. Different qualifying. Um, anyway, but uh, the, so the idea that like they're trying to do basically the same offseason, Jake Odorizzi, that was his name, but uh, the, the same offseason playbook, right? And then Odorizzi ended up essentially getting replaced by the 10 O'Rourke, another cheaper signing and a big one. 
So, like, they're going for it again. Like, there's no expectation that they're stepping back. No, every, everything, even from the front office that has been broadcast, is hey, we we are we feel we're already competitive. Um, we're going to continue to act like a competitive team. Like, there, there's not even a whisper of of like holding the cards or, and especially not um, like we've heard from a bunch of teams the last couple of years of tanking. The Blue Jays are in it, so to speak. Yeah, no, they're 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 going for it, and and it's just sometimes nice to see the actions back up the words, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So it, yeah. I mean, we've saw it last year, obviously. I mean, after they did not sign Jake Odorizzi, thank God I remember the name, they went and spent $24 million on Tanner Rourke. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's, Four million so on- that's not a bad thing in our current context because they're no, essentially they're, they're eating Tanner Roark's contract this year, whatever it is, 11 or $12 million is left. Yeah. And, we have not heard um, from them well until we move or get some relief from blah. We can't really make any moves. We've heard the exact opposite. Yeah. But I mean, I was just trying to say, like, even if they follow the playbook, they spent $12 million on him, $4 million on Shaw. This is for the one season. So it's all the 24 for Rourke. But so, and then $20 million on Ryu and another $3 million on Yamaguchi or 2 million. So it's like, there's some good players you can get with that kind of money. That's just if they add there, not even if they go further. Yeah, and, and there weren't any specific trades last year. I don't think that that made a huge impact. That may have just been opportunity. Maybe the Blue Jays are looking at at giving up an asset to get a you know a combination of things. And it makes them better at the major league level, but I would absolutely expect every trade here to have them either take on money or to improve at the major league level or both. I don't I don't think you uh I don't think you're gonna see any moves that are about stocking the farm or about you know that kind of or about salary relief. Which it makes them unusual among teams this year. Sure does. It's like that mar- that we're saying before, like a market of in- inefficiencies to spend money, uh which makes no sense, but also makes total sense. <laughs> <laughs> And, and, and interestingly, Atkins was talking about about their offseason plan, you know, like and the glacial pace that this offseason could move at because no one knows what the hell's going on. Um, but he was saying that if they move early, like it could be a significant impact, right? Uh, that that's the kind of guy that they would jump at, like a, a star, because you know, like it's like that you could it's a bird in the hand kind of thing, right? It's like you can get the guy, get him. Whereas if yeah. it's not that, you wait it out and see, okay, who's falling, who's cheaper. But, like, they're playing in the big, the deep end of the pool if he's saying things like that. Like, you don't say that for no reason. Yeah, absolutely. And If you've got, you know, we, we have the money to outspend our un- the uncertainty at the moment, then go ahead and outspend the uncertainty. Now, I am not convinced that next year is going to have anybody in the stadiums. I'm, I, I'm, I understand that nope. you know, there are people who think that things are going to – I love this the sentence. Oh well, when COVID's over, um, I don't know that that's gonna ever even have a hard date on it, quote unquote. When it is over, I, I understand that pandemics don't last forever, but uh, until un, until a lot of things change, um, you're looking at a revenue stream that does not include season tickets, for for lack of a better you know thing. And certainly, there aren't no walk up tickets. Um, we don't even know how many games there are next year. So there's going to be a lot of teams that are on the bubble that are like, oh, we just, we, we don't want to do anything with this. 
And I feel like the Blue Jays are are not they're not in pigeonholed that way. That that they're yeah. confident that the TV revenue and the the continuity of the team is not a you know they're not worried about next year. Maybe if it goes on two or three years, then things change. But then baseball has a bigger problem if it goes on two or three years. Yeah, and and I should this is kind of one of the things that's the real benefit, even though the Jays never won the World Series, of the strength of their 2015-16 seasons because it showed. Even from the not like they sold out, right? So the fan mm-hmm. side is huge, but they were averaging over a million people a game on television, viewers a game. And if you're Rogers, like that's huge. Like if you say, look, if we're good, we'll still we'll get more than that because no one, even if no one's in attendance, because those people will be watching on TV. I think that that has a strong, strong impact on you know convincing people to spend money. Well, yeah, and I think people look at. Um look at how much hockey coverage happens in Canada and they think, oh, well, hockey is the big draw. And they immediately forget that the people watching hockey watch their team. And that's spread across a good, at least the seven Canadian teams and a good chunk of of people I know are fans of a specific, you know, original six team or or some some other team for some other reason. But the, the Stanley Cup playoffs do not draw a million viewers per game every game because... People only care about their team. Baseball, the only Canadian team is the Blue Jays. They literally draw a countrywide audience, and and Sportsnet does not have another asset like that. No, they don't. So, yeah, stay away from the comparisons to playoff hockey um, because it's it's on a game-by-game basis. It's not the same thing. So that's good. So hopefully the Blue Jays, uh, you know, find an economic benefit from the weirdness that it's going to continue to ensue over the next little while. Do we have any any other news that you wanted to talk about Blue Jays wise directly before we shuffle on over to our interview? I mean, just they officially did not win any of those seasons awards. Hyunjin Ryu came third in the Cy Young voting, which I thought he probably should have come second. By the way, it's absolutely crazy that the Dodgers lost Kenta Maeda, who finished second, Hyunjin Ryu, who finished third, and David Price, who didn't pitch all season, and still won the freaking World Series. <laughs> Deep pockets, baby. Deep And they pockets. traded Ross Stripling to, Stripling to the Jays. Like, where did they get all these pitchers from? Um, yeah, deep pockets for sure. And uh, yeah, and then Montoyo did not win Manager of the Year, which we knew he wouldn't. And sadly, Renteria didn't either, <laughs> because it would have been really funny. So, no, sometimes we are deprived of the most epically stupid moments in baseball, only by the fates, really. Yep. Congratulations to Don Mattingly, who, despite taking the Dodgers to the World Series, what, twice? Never won Manager of the Year, and yet somehow now is Marlins Manager of the Year? Manager of the Year is a dumb, dumb award. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, yeah, we're going to leave the Manager of the Year where he should be, back here in the in the uh, in the closet, and uh, we're going to move on. We're going to talk about the minor leagues with uh, our resident expert, who uh, once upon a time was a resident at our our little website, uh, Jason Tackerman. We'll be right back with him after this. We are pleased at Artificial Turf Wars to welcome back uh, Jason Tackerman, who is host of the IBWA podcast and a friend of our show and an expert on, or our expert, I would say, on the minor leagues. Welcome back to Artificial Turf Wars. I was also a writer for you. 
You Once, were. When we yeah. had a website. Yeah, I remember right. having a website. Yeah, the good old days, 2017, <laughs> 2018. Like, these were the heyday. No, none of the cool people do websites anymore, right, Josh? No, exactly. It's all, it's, <laughs> podcast is well, where it's, it's at. Podcast, right. So you can get, so instead of reading me with your eyes, you hear me with your ears. It's very good. Yeah, exactly. we've, we've, we've upgraded. Uh, 100%. <laughs> or, well, we've trimmed the fat. I mean, we've been doing this the whole time. <laughs> um, so it's been a rough year for the minor leagues because there weren't any. Um, but it looks like even even more to the point as the as going forward, um, MLB is not really going to return to anything that resembled the old structure. And I was sort of we just wanted to start off with your impressions of of what what happened and then what's going to happen um, to minor league teams. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with not a very good year. These were two parallel issues that ultimately converged. One was COVID, obviously. Um, Miley Baseball, the foundation of Miley Baseball at its core as a business entity is fans in the stands, community, um, which is the opposite of what 2020 was. Uh, It would not have helped minor league baseball teams a lot, even if they were allowed to travel and play in empty stadiums like professional teams are, or like like teams are now, um, and only be shown on TV. Because while that is good, that is not, that is a very small percentage of revenue and what people turn to minor league stadiums. So minor league teams too, which is to be in the stadium. So that wouldn't have worked. Um, And the restructuring, you know, this was a long time coming. Uh, This was, you can kind of see this because, you know, Major League Baseball is a massive company, and Major League Baseball spends a lot of time procuring and and surveying and scouting, and they have a ton of opportunity costs and a ton of money into their minor league teams, and they didn't control certain aspects of their minor league relationship um, that is vital to the development of their players. So they would, so for example, for me, I was general manager with the Canadians, and this is just an example, and we're just I'll use a, a friendly name that we're all you know uh, who we all know is. They would spend, Lord knows how much time they spent Marcus Str- with you know s- scouting Marcus Stroman and and the opportunity cost to get to to drafting Marcus Stroman and, and and then how they're going to you know what the plan is for him and then they kind of you know he would be dropped off with us and I take that as a great responsibility but if you're a major baseball team it only makes sense that you know what exactly what he's gonna you know what he's gonna be eating where he's gonna be sleeping how he's you know his transportation schedule his lifting his his weight training schedule all these different things that they want to have a lot more control over so ultimately I think this is going to be uh, a good thing for my for major baseball I think even my base the transition is going to be tough but I think this is the right thing to do on on sort of from that perspective so that's we've seen I mean you just basically told us why it's happening but I guess the question then is what about these teams that are no longer going to be affiliated like how do they yeah cope I mean obviously like they can't survive can they well I can't speak for every team and I can't speak, you know, the names are still trickling out, but they could serve. So survives, you know, survives a very good word to use because they can survive and money baseball at its core. The are, are very smart business people who understand how to give community and fans what they want and how to make money and how they make money is based on excellent customer service, strong giveaways, community attachment, community affinity, and great consumer demand and ticket packages. And they'll still do that. And 
And some teams look, it's going to be very devastating to lose a minor league affiliate, a major league affiliate. And it is devastating because, um, as I wrote for you, Josh, like, you know, sometimes an affiliation changes and, and we can link sort of the articles that I wrote for you guys afterwards on affiliation change because they're pretty apt right now is sometimes it just happens and it sucks and there's a better opportunity for both parties and that's what it is. And it, it, it's working out, but it's not working out to the best capacity. In other situations, it's, you know, some teams in some cities and speaking to a lot of people on baseball, they may take it as an insult, both sides. They, they may feel like they quote unquote got dumped. They may feel like they're leaving their city or they may feel like their facilities aren't good enough. And that's when things can kind of turn awry and, and no one wants that. And that's where my league teams will kind of be left in the lurch a little bit or that they could have some, you know, PR to do, so to speak. Um, and I, I have a I have great respect for obviously everybody in my league baseball. I, I tell everyone who will listen even before, even when I was working at the UFC and and the NHL that my league baseball I think is the best comp is, is the best industry like it's it's the best business model because it's solely based on you know you get what you put in or you get out what you put in and if you treat people sort of well and you treat companies well you'll get a great product and if not you won't and it's very true in that respect but I think that. Teams will still continue doing that. Major Baseball, I think, is smart to realize that there still needs to be sort of an arm of affiliate affiliated baseball, and they may have prospects. I, I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't. I mean, my baseball as an entity doesn't exist anymore, right? Like they, I, it, they're like licensed affiliates or whatever the term is called. So, you know, they'll still they are. Cog I know from speaking to a few people, they are cognizant of this, and the and the the goal is not to strangle minor league baseball, and the goal is not to destroy it. The goal is just to make it better so that major league baseball can thrive, and then they can sort of streamline it so it's better for everyone long term. Great, and then like like you mentioned before, like the the, the reasons for it are reasonably obvious well I'll maybe when you say them out loud afterwards <laughs> they become obvious to right us. But, but let me just let me just build on that is that then you then you throw in things like transportation and then you throw in things like you know all these rule these leagues were autonomous in their rule structure uh, of when a team was allowed to travel overnight or who paid the bill and hotel bills and these are small potatoes for a major baseball team ultimately so they're going to pay a little bit more attention to it and they're going to travel they want to travel less and they want to travel more comfortably and they want to travel more optimally. So it doesn't necessarily make sense for someone. Um, and again, I'll just use, cause you know, we were for the blue, just like a Noah Syndergaard who's built like that to sit on a bus for seven hours for, for 4am to 11am and then pitch, right? You're not, you're not a simulating what it's like, what he's going to be like in the majors, but two, you're not seeing the best version of him and not saying that the blue Jays did that, but you get what I'm saying. Like that's, Teams yeah. do that. Like that is what that is a fundamental core of how minor league baseball teams travel is they, uh, you know, they go early morning or late night, and uh, it's a very rigorous schedule for them. And their players are put in physically uncomfortable situations, and you know they come, they they have to grind it out, which is great. But if you're looking at this from a major league perspective, like there's got to be a better way, and there will be a better way. And with what's happening right now. Is part of the idea of this that it would essentially limit the shuffle of affiliations that you referred to a little bit earlier? Like, would this make this a lot easier to have long-term relationships? I I think so because I think you would want if and I don't I don't know this and every yeah. team is going to have their own um, their own reason um, for choosing their affiliate and vice versa. Um, but I would think part of their long-term planning would be some capital infrastructure 
and maybe even a piece of ownership of the team. So they have truly a lot more invested, literally, but they don't go two to four years. Again, like when, you know, I wrote to the ideal affiliate, they should have a two-year, a four-year, and a 10-year option because a 10-year option allows you to get comfortable. It allows you to become more efficient. It allows you to see long-term, and it allows you to maybe, you know, have some joint capital expenditure on the stadium. And now, like, with the way that development is done and and you know, human optimization, especially with athletes. You know, you may look, you know, I've heard some teams and they've, they've talked to their major league affiliate. They want a meditation room. They want a yoga room. They've already had to redo the weight rooms that they've built. Uh, they, they will have, to, you know, you're going to see some teams that are going to that are going to go along with, let's say, a personal chef, a nutritionist, a few personal trainers. Um, a few sort of mental performance coaches, like the the what a team looks like getting onto a bus will look different of the the personnel that are going to be uh, traveling with the team. And these are all those are all good things, by the way. These are all good things because you know player. This is going to allow players to work their best and not sort of a cream rises to the top because the cream is going to rise to the top anyways. And listen, this is a much better this is a much better scenario than if teams just start saying, ah, you know what, we don't need 270 minor leaguers. We're going to go with 130. And then just do their own thing. And be like, you know, we don't need an Appalachian League team. We don't need a Northwest League team. We don't need a, a second Midwest. You know what I mean? Like, this is more streamlined and this actually benefits the teams longer because you're not taking a team out of a league. They can just say, we don't want to do this. Um, so this is, at least they're putting it in paper, they're putting it in writing, and this is uh, this is a more professional way of doing it. It still okay. seems very painful for some of the teams concerned who are losing a lot of their um, their reputation, so to speak. Like knowing yeah. that that there are players, you know, coming through that team that are they're going to be future major leaguers is part of the attraction. And and to you know to see that happening seems like a huge drain on the teams that that got left out in the, in the cold here. It is, um, and you're you're bang on. But you know, Miley baseball used to boast that it's not about the you know, it's it's funny because they used to always say it's not about what happens on the field. It's you know you don't remember the score, and now they're really going to have to utilize that strategy um, more than ever. And you know, I I think those teams look. There's going to be an odd transition period. I joined the Vancouver Canadians. They were Triple A team. They went to Single A short season, and and arguably, you know, during my tenure there, and not because of my tenure, but just because of the new ownership. But they were the hottest ticket in town, and probably the best run sports organization in town. And they and that single A short season from Triple A, it's literally from highest to lowest, you know, on the ladder. And I don't think fans minded because they were able to come to the ballpark and get, you know, sort of other stuff out of it and still see prospects. I think Major Major Baseball knows this, and they also know that they don't they don't want to destroy communities. They don't want to destroy teams that have worked with their communities, teams that have worked with their governments, teams that have worked with their taxpayers, teams that have worked, you know. Most Miami baseball teams, they've had people that have been in the community, their front office and their ownership group that have been in the community for 15 years. Everybody knows them. There's a certain cachet to being the community. You know, obviously there's a lot of it's a prestige, but also pressure to be like the community face on the business side. They know these things. Major Baseball knows these things. They don't want to destroy baseball. It's certainly a great narrative for people to write. It's certainly a very catchy thing to, you know, to, to pick on Rob Manfred uh, you know that he's destroying baseball. And he, you know, it, it certainly it, it writes very well, and there's no shortage of people who would pick pick that up, and and no shortage of people who would bang that drum. But I think that's just not the case, and transitions are just difficult, and this is one of them. 
One of the great results of this confluence of events on the other side with the COVID-19 um, thing, of course, is that the community, uh, you've told us in the past, we, we had an interview where you talked specifically about the, the minor league winter meetings, and part of that community was built and maintained through those meetings. Um, and yeah. I think this might have been, if they had happened this year in the traditional format, might have been a chance for people to sort of commiserate and, and figure out which direction they were going you know, forward in. But without that, uh, you know, without being able to meet face to face anymore, what, do you think that's going to have an impact on some of these owners and some of these executives? People will miss, you know, yes, because there's nothing like face to face and kind of having a deep sigh and, you know, sharing best practices over a drink or two, as opposed to being in a meeting where you're, you know, you may not want to share best practices because it's a little bit more on the record. Um, yes, I think that it's. The winter meetings on the minor league side are a very healthy part of the sport. It allows people to um, to meet with vendors and to sort of plan the year ahead and to take stock of what they've done and to hear good things, um, you know, from other people, and to set up their league on the operation side um, with their with their commissioners of their respective leagues. Um, it will not be the same. But again, my baseball is very smart and. The winter meetings are are a great arm of minor league baseball. I, I don't I, I, I don't know if they're I don't know sort of the legal stuff there if it's a separate company or whatever, but it's a great brand extension or for whatever the formal term is. And they'll think it'll be just as fine virtually. I've I've done a few you know um, I, I've I've done a few virtual events that are typically in person where the strength of the event is in person. I'm the co-chair of the of the RBC JCC Sports Center here in Vancouver, which is also a very hot ticket and. You know, we're doing things virtually and we've just had to live with it like everybody else has. And, you know, I, I've had to do the Washington State and McGill alumni events where I love to I love to do it in person. And I've had to do it online just like everybody else has. And it sucks. It sucks for vendors. I mean, there's bigger things to worry about, like if fans are going to be allowed and sort of if, if the sport can truly survive or if certain teams can kind of weather the storm of no fans in their stadium again this year or even moderated fans. They'll survive, and it's a big hit, but it's not that big of a hit because these are smart people, and these are very uh, ingenuous people, and these are people who all want the same thing, which is the the sustainability and the robustness of their sport. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah, I mean, everyone has had to go to the uh, the virtual format, though. I, you know, we we have a lot of meetings where the participation level where I work is much lower when you go virtual for some right. reason. Yeah. I mean, look, you'll still, you're, you're, you'll find people that'll turn their camera off and you'll find people that will, you know, it's like anything, but that, how is that different than if you're sitting in person and you're on your phone or how is that different if you're sitting in person at the back of a room and you're talking to your friend or if you just walk away and during a meeting because you go take a phone call, like, I don't know. I, I think if anything, smart companies are realizing that they can maybe incorporate a virtual aspect to the winter meetings moving forward, right? And maybe they could um, have people pay a smaller fee to watch things virtually to get access to these things. And I'm, I'm, I'm just sort of, you know, I obviously don't represent the meetings, but I, I know that we're thinking about, you know, certain companies that I've worked with and, and the not-for-profit boards that I'm on, we've thought about this. Like, well, wait a second, what, like, why, don't, why is it just a one-year thing to be virtual? Like, why don't we let people virtually afterwards? And, and again, these are smart people. So they'll realize if they if it's going to be um, if it's going to be 
uh, what I'm looking for, if, if, if it's going to counteract their presence there and if they really want people only there or if it's going to dilute the experience. And I don't think I don't think it's going to dilute the experience, but I, I, I could be wrong. Yeah, I guess so. That, that was where I was going to go with the next question, too, is maybe it's not so much about what the impact will be of going virtual this year, but so but more so even potentially the impact of the, the meetings going forward, If it, which is like, as you mentioned, like every other business in the world right now, right. realizing that maybe it's potentially better doing it this way or cheaper or more efficient. I'll tell you this. There's a lot. There's a lot of companies that have learned a lot of things from minor league baseball, and you look at all the big four sports, and all of a sudden they start focusing on customer service, and they start doing a lot of the things that minor league baseball has been doing for three, you know, two or three generations. And if it's a lot easier to convince your boss if you work for one of the big four sports, an NCAA or or you know some of the big guys, to say, I don't have to go anywhere, but you know, I take a day or two off to just watch these seminars or watch these speakers or watch this and obviously you're not there and the and they can incorporate how to you know sort of the vendor aspect but on the business side they can incorporate see going to the seminars and still being a part of it and learning as in they can sort of write that off to you know company education and again my baseball figure it out they'll figure out how to you know, they'll figure out how to monetize it because they're very smart and that can just be a way for them to get more people that ultimately would pay a little bit and they can you know, show off more people so they can say wow it's it's great to be virtual but maybe next year you got to be there like for example this year it was supposed to be in dallas well if you're an ahl team in texas it's a lot easier to drive there than it would be from let's say the that same ahl team from you know abbotsford bc right especially with the low dollar like it's a lot easier to convince your team to go virtual at a at a smaller fee than it would be to you know to be there and to take all that time off and flights and all that yeah for yeah. sure um so yeah we'll see what the next year holds i guess as it comes up because i think it's going to be changing as time goes on depending on what the environment is outside of you know in the real world quote unquote um and yeah we might have to have you back when when things swing in another direction but we do appreciate you taking the time jason my, um, my pleasure no this is great Thank so you. Be- I, I appreciate uh, you giving a chance for sort of someone from Miami Baseball to be able to um, position this accordingly, at their very least, explain it accordingly. Because if you, it's not all doom and gloom as the articles that are happening, and there's some great articles out there, and it is doom and gloom for some people, and it is sad, um, but it is not this sort of big brother walking in here and just destroying uh, an industry. <laughs> So that's Jason Tackerman from the IBWAA podcast. If you want to hear his voice more, if it was pleasant and soothing to you, that's where you can hear more of him. Um, thank you once again for joining us. And uh, yeah, we'll talk at you again soon. Thanks. Thank you, gentlemen. And we are back. Yes, talking about the little people. It so the news is not all bad. It's not all all doom and gloom, as as uh, some certain national writers would have you believe. Is that just it because everyone get the other perspective? Is that because everyone hates Rob Manfred as much as we do? Is that what it is? Uh, he seems pretty hateable. <laughs> I think I think Jason agrees about the hateability of Rob Manfred, although not in this context as to why you would hate him. Um, we asked for questions this week, and lo and behold, people have provided. Time now to hear from our listeners. That just seems silly. Here are the rules. First I ask a question, then you ask a question. Now how does that sound, sweetheart? Could you repeat the question, please? 
And we begin with L at Ellie Ellie Hart. Is there anything practical that can actually be done to shorten games? As far as I know, the biggest culprit of longer games is longer time between pitches. But if that reduces injury and can't be changed, what's left? I don't know if that's the biggest culprit. I do think that the increase in strikeouts and walks are one of the biggest issues with what's going on. Like shortening games in terms of time, I guess, matters. But this pace of play that Manfred talks about is, the is to me, the real issue. Like what's the real tangible difference between a game that's three hours and three minutes and two hours and 54 minutes? Like nine minutes difference over that span doesn't really matter. But it, when it's just so devoid of action, that's when you get problems. So... And now, of course, not all the things he's done for pace of play don't affect the pace of play. So it's like, <laughs> what's the point? Um, I think that the you could change move change the strike zone a bit so that the strikeouts and walks go away a little bit, like force pitchers not to throw in certain zones. Um, you know, they're talking about banning shifts. I think that if they did something like that, it would have an effect. I'm not saying I'm in favor of it, but... You know, those are the kind of things that could happen. Changing the mound height again, all things that have been done, but there are things that can be done. Yeah. That don't I, have the same in effect on injury that of, you know, pitch clocks that Mike Sun will tell you in full detail why it's a bad idea. Yeah, and, and I think that um, there's certainly a precedent for changing things on the mound and in the strike zone. That's happened repeatedly. Yeah. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't get into this murky water of, oh, well, you can't have a guy standing here because the shift is this or that. Um, it's It simply says, hey, um, batters shouldn't have as tough a time discerning what they should be swinging at. It's not that, it's not that revolutionary. And it would, again, getting people on the bases speeds things up less, you know, remember, in order to get a strikeout or a walk, you're four or five pitches in and often guys nibbling around the corners are nibbling for no reason. Um, so long at-bats are to the benefit of everybody right now, and you need shorter at-bats. So less pitches. Yep. Uh, all right. Ballher. I'll read this one. All right. It's for you. I'll let you answer this one. So at Baseballer, what do you do when there's no baseball? Stare out the window and wait for a vaccine. <laughs> well done. <laughs> I'm glad I asked you. <laughs> um... I also play a bunch of Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, if you want a real serious answer, but I was doing that when there was baseball. So I don't know if that's, I just continue to do all the other things. Do you do something different when there's no baseball, Josh? Um, Certainly neither of us watch hockey. (laughs) No, God, no. (laughs) Uh, No, not really. It's just not watching baseball. (laughs) So general life stuff. I don't watch as much as people think I watch anyway. All right, I'm going to flip-flop the next two questions on our list here. So Matt at Thomas Matt C asks, who are the Jays going to sign slash trade for as soon as uh, for as soon as you post the new episode? Josh? So I'm, I'm going to let you answer this first. But, Jordan, um, I looked at the list real quick. I said George Springer. Boom, that's it. I'm refusing to answer this because now they're not going to get George Springer because oh. we've said it. Oh, Sir Jinx a lot. I feel like there was someone they traded for a couple years ago that we basically pre-announced. I can't remember yeah, who it was. Yeah, that did happen. I can't remember who it was either. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, no, no, no. We we can we can do this. The Blue Jays have not yet signed George Springer. Yeah, there we go. Well, We've now, noticed. Now we're safe we, if it happens. We, we just noticed that that they haven't signed him yet. Um, so the question that I flip flopped here was: Who do you think will play center field most often for the Jays in twenty twenty one? 
obviously George Springer. And uh, who would I want out there? Anybody? Same really. answer. <laughs> yeah, that George is fine. George is great. Do you have a preference for center fielder? I mean, honestly, I think that's who they should be targeting. Full stop. Like they should be going all after, all out for Springer because he fills so many. We talked about this last episode when someone asked like Springer or Bauer. I think he just makes it so much easier to do the rest of the offseason if they get him. I'm not as big on Jackie Bradley Jr. I mean, he's a great defender, which they do need, but he's not much of a hitter. Yeah, sometimes he hit and sometimes not so much. And man, the Blue Jays have enough of those guys on the roster. Okay, now the super technical question, so I'm asking them. Matt Thomas at Thomas Matt C again asks, thoughts on prospective Rule 5 eligible 40-man editions on Friday. Uh, Was that? Oh, yeah, that's this coming Friday. Yeah, there are some interesting ones for the Jays. Uh, so we've talked in the past a little bit about how right now the Jays have to add both Gabriel Moreno and Riley Adams to their 40-man catchers. And they already have Kirk McGuire and Jansen on there. You don't want five catchers on your 40-man. So even if it doesn't happen right away, I think that one of those guys or two of them get moved. Uh, Kirk, inter- interestingly, was not supposed to have to be added, but they just wanted him in the big leagues. Um, I think that Otto Lopez might get added the shortstop. Just, you know, he's been solid in the minor leagues. And then Josh Palacios, I think, who didn't get added last year, probably gets added because he apparently did really well down at uh, at the whatever they call the camp, the, <laughs> the minor league offsite stadium or whatever. The thing that they continuously attempted to come up with a catchy name for but failed. Um, yeah. So overthrow, overthrow Doug Ford, hashtag ACAB. Uh, at split letters, Luke, you, you're going to have a really long Twitter name by the end of this year. Um, he says, <laughs> everyone's been talking about Lindor, but who's your dark horse trade candidate and that the Jays should be going after? It's a tough one. Um, I'm going to say Trevor Story and Herman Marquez from the Rockies. I don't think that they're going to trade Marquez because he's under control for like four more, five more years or something like that. Um, but Trevor Story, like he's a free agent at the end, at the end of the year, and everyone's talking about Lindor, but or Javier Baez, same thing. Like one of, I think that getting a good shortstop, like a really good one, has value, and I think that Jay should be talking to all those guys about all those guys, rather. I'm gonna let you continue to be the expert on names around baseball, which I, uh, you know, other than George Springer, which I brought up, and Trevor Bauer, which we talked about last week. I'm not as strong on. Uh, what I am strong on is playing the appropriate stinger. And since we have a do-over. <laughs> Are you now? <laughs> yes, I'm an expert. I think this, for our coming up do-over, is the best All one. Right. What would I do different? <laughs> well, well, I've never actually made a mistake. There have been a few, let's call them, stananks. That could be worthy of a do-over. So the, this particular do-over target... Um, Actually, I sure feel like thing. there's one person in the world who would not endorse this do-over, and that person is Ryan Tapera. <laughs> yeah, so the, when Freddie Freeman was announced as the NL MVP, it's like, okay, that was – there were potential. It could have been Mookie Betts. You know, like there were other competition, but he was the best choice. And you look down the ballot, there he is getting one tenth place vote, Ryan Tapera. <laughs> Ryan Tapera this year – through 20 innings of 3.92 ERA ball. <laughs> you know, he got 31 strikeouts, but it's like, 
that was like an okay-ish season from a middle reliever. <laughs> Someone made a terrible mistake. Oh, uh, that's such a dead but joke. But no, it's forever he has an MVP <laughs> vote on his resume. Um, yeah. It turns out that <laughs> this was not supposed to be the case because Rick Hummel of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch intended to vote for Trey Turner. <laughs> And he ended up on the drop down menu, clicked the wrong T name. And and failed before hitting the final submit, what however the process works, to to correct or or cross check his error. So luckily it's a tenth place vote. Uh we can all have a good chuckle about it. Can you imagine a first place vote on the drop down um swinging one way or the other the actual MVP selection? That would cost people money. That would be like really crazy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely but really, wild. But I love it. Like Trey Turner, you know, he finished seventh in the MVP voting anyway. Yeah. And he's gonna get lots of MVP votes over the rest of his career, probably. I love that Ryan Tapera now has an MVP <laughs> vote on his resume. <laughs> so now I'm starting to think if I'm if I'm an agent, I just put in my contract. You know, all of my contracts have a writer that says if my my player gets any MVP votes. It's like ten thousand dollars. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> just just in case, <laughs> anything's possible. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, obviously, anyone would have that do over uh, that the drop down menu behaved as a, as appropriate, and the mouse did not move two pixels one way or another. Um, if you want to come down, well, uh, on the show, we can we can uh, maybe do some screen capture of you operating drop down menus. Um, you know, that's the do-over. Let's show you how to use Perfect. All right. So uh, we are rolling into the end of our esteemed podcast. What what say you, sir, to end it off? Yeah, just, you know, some big news in the baseball world. This year, Kim Ng was named the general manager of the Miami Marlins. <laughs> Look at the Marlins doing things. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a big moment. I mean, the first female general manager in the major four sports. And first Asian American, as they listed it, manager and ba- GM in baseball. And, you know, Kimming's been in baseball for 30 years. It's kind of crazy that it took her this long. And you know, it's just congratulations. Like she deserves that. She deserves it. She's done a lot of work for a lot of teams and it's nice to see her get the shot. Yeah. And I, there is no reason that people who have not specifically played a sport cannot know more about that sport than than people who have played so as that goes away i think um especially with the you know the mathematical background and the analytics background and, and all the other things that now go into mlb uh or into, into all the major sports i think absolutely we should be seeing more women in positions where they have the ultimate authority over um teams why not uh it just boggles my mind that it's still a boys club and in 2021 uh, 2020 well it'll be 2021 soon so yeah congratulations to her uh i actually thought of a different final thought uh than we were discussing earlier you darvish finished um i believe second in the Cy young voting in the national league he had an award for winning the Cy Young, so he was excited to, you know, that he was he was in the running. Uh, then he found out from his agent that his contract also included bonuses for second and third place votes, which he had forgotten about apparently. So you is going to donate that uh, bonus to charity. I thought that was really cool. Oh, cool! I didn't see that. Yeah, I think he got an extra million bucks. Yeah, 
So because he wasn't expected it and didn't know about it, he said he would make a donation to charity over it in a, in a tweet. So thank you, you Darvish, for still being awesome. Because uh, even though the Blue Jays almost got you that one time, ha ha. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you've been pretty awesome throughout your, your career, and, and I think that's just a, you know, a cool thing to do. So that said, uh, I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010, and you have been uh, Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem, and our guest was Jason Takafman at Jason B. Takafman. Uh, and this has been episode number 188 of the Artificial Turf Wars, and we'll talk at you in a couple of weeks, or when the Blue Jays sign someone the day after we finish a podcast, as is tradition. <laughs>